It's May 12th, 2022, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. Welcome back, everyone. We're having a very interesting recording session today because we're actually in the same room at the same time. And, and I don't think, well, we certainly haven't done it since the pandemic. I, I personally think it kind of threw us threw us for a small loop there at the, at the very beginning. We couldn't quite couldn't quite match things up because we haven't done it in so long. <laughs> yeah, and I just I'm like, okay, he's standing in front of me. Try not to giggle when you start start talking. And of course, we've recorded the intro now twice because I I, I couldn't do those things. But but yes, we're finally back. We're We've now passed all the vacation and allergies and illnesses and work, and, and we finally have a moment to sit down and record again for you guys. So I think we're just going to jump right off into it. And what we're going to do today is we're going to do what's the first of what we expect to be a series called What If. I think all of it's going to be architecturally related. Maybe. I, I mean, I, this was really inspired by the, the Marvel series on, on Disney Plus, where, you know, the the main character is your guide going through a bunch of alternative universes where there's like college bro Thor and all that other stuff. And so not to not we're, we're calling ours what if architecture. So hopefully we don't run across any of that copyright stuff. I mean, Disney's pretty the House of Mouse is pretty uh Got a pretty big hammer when it comes to that type of thing, but well, I would think so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, so so, and I don't think we're going to be doing multiverse, but but I, I think we'll certainly touch on a, a, a number of things. I think as architects, it'd be nice if this was this kind of the what if, and I think I, th- I think that's the the whole thing here. And and our first one is is you you texted me this, and I was like, well, wow, that's really good because I hadn't thought about it. And yours was, it was, it was, you know, what if architecture was a four-year degree and, you know, upon graduation, you could go out into the world and practice. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, but, but I thought, you know, but it's a, it's an excellent question because it's very much a, a what if, because we talk about, we talk about school and we talk about practice so many times over and over again, not, not me and me personally, but as a profession. We talk about it a lot because programs have changed over time. The industry's changed over time, not as much as it probably should. But this is certainly a topic that I think you know we can certainly break down a little bit because, yes, what if architecture was a four-year degree? And to kind of start you guys off, for those of you who don't know, architecture right now is, is really set up to be a four plus two. So you have an undergraduate degree, and then you have your master's of architecture. And you don't have to have a, a architecture undergrad or a design undergrad. You can come from a totally different field into the master's program and do your two years master's program and then you know, graduate and license and all that sort of stuff. No, I, and, and, and so we're going to be looking at it through the lens of schooling. We're going to be seeing how it would affect the industry side and then maybe how additionally on the labor side, how, how does you know adding so many potential so many more potential new people into the industry because in my in my mind you're doing four so that makes you're doing a four-year program make it makes 
makes the field a little bit more attractive, maybe a little bit more accessible to people who might not be interested or might not be financially interested in spending that much time and money in into graduate school and beyond like that. So we'll be looking at it from those three different perspectives and well, let's see where it takes us. So I, I'd be interested to come up with a school perspective. How does that... Let's say let, let's say this gets implemented. You you're you know you, you you snap your fingers and now it's a four year degree and you can go. How does that how does that then impact school? Like you're in school, how, based on your experience of being in school and 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 going through that process, how how does now a four year degree and getting a license affect how school functions as an architect? I think it would function exactly the same because I think I think the academic side of it as well is less likely to change because we've done it this way for so long that we we spend the first two years trying to kill everyone and work them out of the program and the last two years are are intensive kind of studio stuff and you've got all your basic crap out of the way but I don't know that I I I don't know that they would change much of what they're doing if they knew that at the end of four years, you would be able to go and then get your license because I, and I don't know what the, the impetus is that says we have to have a master's degree to get licensed, to even be able to take our exams. But for some reason, those two extra years are necessary. So I don't know, I don't know what they would change and, and I, I don't know what more they would teach or would they teach us different things. So, yeah. I mean, you, you you graduated much later than I did. So, you know, you're, you're like nine years out of school and I am more than nine years out of school. <laughs> so so I don't know what's changed in that time period. I mean, I mean, how is your experience? Are there things that if you were only doing a four year program, are there things you think they should have taught you or they would have taught you differently? I think there would be a lot more in this world where you are shoved out into the real world with a license to practice or, or James Bond reference license to kill. <laughs> if you're, if you're doing it wrong, if you're doing it wrong. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if, if at the end of four years, professors knew that you were, you know, pushed out in the world and able to start practicing, I, I think they would tend to focus, have a little bit more well-rounded approach because you, you talk about things like, when I was in school, the graduate program was more or less a continuation of what you were doing in undergrad. So it was just here, let's get you a couple extra years to help you refine things. And so if you cut those two years off, I imagine things get a whole lot more condensed and, and a lot more condensed, but a lot more focused on what you need to know for the real world. So there's maybe there's a lot more talk about like code research and all the all the unfun things that you have to do in architecture because most of school is, is the fun stuff. If you get to design something, you get to, you know, you get to really dig into being the head of a firm and and the privileges that that comes with. But you don't ever get to see the the downsides of that, which is you know, there's all the research, there's all the business ownership, there's dealing with clients, there's dealing with difficult. Uh, contractors con- and subcontractors yeah. and difficult code officials and all that all that fun stuff no I, I think that that might be the change just that that there's there is a like you said a more rounded focus for me it, it's it's that thing of 
everyone should have to have a psychology class. Everyone should have to have a presentation class. Everyone should have to have a business class. These are the things that you should know and should have to have an experience with before you are actually out, you know, especially, especially if you're going to be able to go four years, take your exams, become a licensed architect. Very few people are going to take their exams all in a, a very short period and get a license some will. But if you're going to be in that position of being able to practice almost immediately out of school, there are, are bigger pictures that you need to need to have that, that you wouldn't get in a typical studio class because for example, we were talking about presentations. When you're presenting <laughs> in studio, you've been up all night probably. I did have a professor who sent everyone home at midnight, but I know they all went home and worked. But, you know, uh, enough professors saying that you're barely awake, you're having trouble forming coherent sentences, you're, you're presenting your project, you're not actually, I, I don't know, I think it's just a different experience, and, and you need to be able to present to your clients in a more cohesive fashion. We're not taught that because we are so worn out and, and dragged down by getting ready for this critique that we don't have a chance to really think about how we're presenting it. We're just up there talking and hoping it's making sense and the professor or the, the jury is going to buy what we're saying. Yeah. And on top of that, I also think that there would be a lot more consideration to skills that you would be learning on the job. Because when you get out of school, you've only dealt with the design aspect of it. But as we've mentioned before, there, there's there's so much more to being an architect than just having a good design there. Like you said, there's you, people, psychology, you've got people skills that you have to deal with, you know, networking. Like if, if, if you've got the best design skills in the world, that that's great. But unless you know the right people, pro, projects come from people. They don't come from you being an awesome designer. Yay, gold star. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but isn't that, the, no, isn't that really how it works? Oh, come on. Um, yeah, well, and, and, and that's something, that's a learned skill. You know, one of the things we talked about, though, was, was and the AI had looked at this as a program. I don't know. I can't remember what they called it. I can't remember if they're still doing it or not. The pandemic may have short-circuited that quite a bit. But they talked about getting things set up so that there were specific architecture schools where you could practice architecture and you can go to school for architecture and these things are happening kind of at the same time or like every alternating semesters kind of thing. So that by the time you, by the time you've graduated, you've graduated with enough work experience to be ready to take your exams so that you can sit down and actually be able to pass your exams because you, because you've learned those things in the field already that you need to, because the ARE exams don't just the What's it stand for? I don't remember anymore. Architecture registration exams. Okay, architecture registration exams. See, it's been that long. Your AREs, that there are things in that that you're only going to learn in the field. You know, not everything that's in there is going to come from the academic side. There will be some things. Honestly, taking your structures exam right out of school would probably be better than trying to do it, you know, two or three or four or five years down the road. Trust me, it's a horrible experience. But yeah, I think that might be the way... that changes, but that would require every architecture school to get behind this idea that they were willing to educate students this way, that were willing to, or able to find firms that are willing to do this because those people have to have a position somewhere. They have to have a slot somewhere in someone's firm 
And I think that's the challenge. So I, I, if we said four years and you could get a license, I think the four years would look a lot different. I think your four-year program would stretch into six or seven because you're alternating your work experience with your actual theoretical experience, your your school experience. I don't know. So 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 in that instance, the the four-year program still comes out to a five or six, but at the end of it, you get your license rather than rather 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 than having to. Because I guess and I guess we should have started the the podcast with this, but like when you're first where we are at with our baseline. Because our baseline is right now, as it stands, you have to go through your undergraduate degree, then you get your graduate degree, then you have to wait six months, and then you can take your exams. But also, after you graduate, there's a three-year period of, the politically incorrect term here is internships, but we don't know, we haven't established what we're calling it anymore. But so you also have this three-year period of of internships that you have to you have you have to you have three years of experience. So if you're just cramming all that into a into a school into a school program instead, it still even if you were doing a four-year program, you're still sitting at seven years. If uh, the undergrad and graduate, so let's say theoretically you finished in six years, <laughs> um, then you have three years of experience on top of that. That's nine years. So you've gone six years of school, three years of training to become a licensed architect. But yeah, if you could short circuit that process and you do a four-year program and then you could sit for your exams and get licensed, yeah, you may still be going for six years, but you've got tied up in that three years worth of experience, essentially, that will travel forward towards your, what's called the AXP, I guess it's the architecture experience program. I don't know. It's just a, it used to be called the IDP, Intern Development Program. Now it's the, I think, AXE or something, or AXP. And anyway, too many letters. But yeah, but, but it's that question is, would, if that was a possibility, how much would that change the architecture programs? And we don't know because no one's really, I think, talked too much about it. Or, or I don't know if these other programs are still happening that AIA and NCARB and all those people are, are kind of pushing. But understand too, that's that's the baseline. It's a four plus two to get your professional, take your license, or you have a five-year bachelor of architecture program, which is a professional degree, and then you can get your license. Looking back at it, you think a hundred years ago, you didn't have to have a degree at all. It was just something you did. It was something you did. You you were interested in being an architect, so you went and did an apprenticeship. And that's how you got your experience and at a certain point in time. I guess I, I don't know what point you started sitting for exams. But at some point, you know, you, you were eventually an architect. You know, that's that's you have that sort of wide range of what's happened over time. And I don't know if it's it's simply because things like how much more code we have to deal with and how much more zoning we have to deal with. And now we're dealing with, with accessibility standards. And there's all these layers of government and code stuff and city regulations and state regulations that are happening that we have to actually address. So perhaps not being able to just apprenticeship and then call yourself an architect isn't such a bad thing because you're getting your base education, but at the same time, you know, by the time you're ready to license, you're getting, you have some experience with all this stuff. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's kind of an odd question, but, but from a, from, from a professional side of this, I think like with any, any industry. Um, so we're looking at it from the industry perspective now. Yeah. Yeah. From the industry side of things, because, and because I've probably, I mean, I've been licensed since 2008, so not that long. But do I feel comfortable having someone come out with a four-year degree and being able to call themselves an architect? 
and how much trouble are we getting ourselves into? There, there's the question of, of potential financial liability, of health, safety, welfare liability. But on top of all of that, <laughs> and maybe more so than anything else, is you have everyone's ego tied up in this. Because how dare you let this child come out of school and call themselves an architect? When I have been busting my ass, I have I sat through my professional degree, I did my internship, it took me two years to take my exams because you bastards ran it out into nine, nine different exams at the time, and that's what it was for me. You had to wait six months between exams. If you, if you failed one, you had to wait six months before you could take it again, which is just, anyway, that's a whole other thing. So, so you have this sort of almost built-in attitude from the existing industry that says, and, and, and I think it may come back to this idea that you and I talk about a lot of the, I had to do it this way, why shouldn't you? attitude that you get with with school you know i had to be up all night you know push pulling all-nighters to do critique the next day why shouldn't you be having that same experience so i think you get a lot of put you you have that idea of getting a lot of pushback from the industry itself now you're you're newer than i am so it may not maybe one of those things that doesn't bother you as much well from from an industry perspective i think it still comes down to there's a lot that you learn about architecture just from experience. You learn how to deal with people. You learn how to communicate better because as, as much as you can produce beautiful renderings in school and these flawless looking floor plans that you've spent months doing, there's a certain level of communication with other people, whether it be contractors, whether it be clients, whether it be with your own family, that, that you don't necessarily get until you have enough practice. In that. And, and, and an example that I'll give is I was working with a client. She and her husband want to do a kitchen garage remodel type scenario. And they had, and, and, and this, this didn't come up in our, the normal course of our conversation, but the wife she was very keen about things being symmetrical, symmetrical. And that didn't come out in our first conversation. It didn't come out in our second conversation. It came up in our third conversation and it took three separate meetings to get, oh, well, I really care about this being symmetrical. Well, you know, and, and, and I'd only ever had to deal with that with Faye. She, she, she's, she's one of those people who's like, I want things to be symmetrical because I designed a whole bookcase and book, bookshelf slash TV stand for our fireplace. It went above our fireplace. It looks really nice, but it was this really, it was this really flowy, free flowing type thing. And Faye was like, no, 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 no. This is symmetrical. Little boxes and they all line up and they're all equal on both sides. And yes. Yes. And, and so it really frustrated my design sensibility, you know, fresh out of school that, you know, I designed this really beautiful thing that I was going to be able to do. And then I have the person who I have to convince to do this, whether it be Faye or this, the client that I'm sitting for. I'm like, well, this is this really cool thing that I'm doing. Well, why, why aren't you just going along with it? And, and, with, and, and of course, Faye, just, you know, we're married at this point. So she just kind of slaps me upside the head and says, no, you, we have to figure this out together. <laughs> <laughs> but it's my design. Leave me alone. Just let me do it. And, and, and I feel like that's the attitude that you would get from a lot of people out of school. 
in in a, in a client setting, they're not going to just slap you upside the head and say, no, you have to take that balance, balance, balance that consideration. There's a lot more give and take. And so based on my experience with Faye and, and, and other conversations I've had with other people, I was able to say, okay, I hear what you're saying about, about your, the, 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 your things being symmetrical. And we were able to work out something that wasn't quite what she wanted, but wasn't quite, it, it was, it was kind of a, a happy medium. Yeah. It was a happy medium between the two of us, but it was, it was born out of that experience of, okay, I can't just steamroll somebody with my brilliant idea and that's how it's going to be. You know, there, there's, there's, there's several levels of experience and communication that you have to have in order to do that. So from an industry perspective, all, all, all of those tangents aside, wrapping it, turning it back to where we were going with this originally, <laughs> there has to be, from an industry perspective, coming out with a four-year degree in architecture is slightly limiting to the people coming out with that because you don't have that experience of being able to communicate you don't you don't have the experience to and or, or knowledge to to know how to communicate and know how to negotiate yeah ne- negotiate and and either and know when know when to to give and know when to push. To, to push yeah. oh yeah no and I, I think that's true because there you you those are skills you learn just being in the office because you know you you, you figure out okay, I'm going to try to guide the client in this direction because I think this is the best way to go. And knowing full well that at some point they're going to veer off to the side and you might get them back on course, but odds are you're going to have to give a little um, and you have to compromise. And, and the people who are uncompromising are the ones who get fired and don't have jobs because you, you are such a stickler for what you do. But, but again, you've been four years in school. Do I think you're ready to jump, you know, four years of school and you're out with the license. Are you ready to jump in and be able to deal with a client, and the answer to that is no. But but I, I but all of that aside, I mean, all of the just the practical side of things, I still think the biggest push you would get is from her egos, because, <laughs> oh, and and not just I'm not saying this is just a, is a bad thing about architects because this is about everybody. I mean, this is James works in works in HR, and I can't tell you the number of times when he was doing compensation work when they were restructuring someone's company and job levels and job titles, the people who would just hitch an absolute fit because their job title had changed and it's less than what it used to be. And I used to be this and now you're calling me this. And I don't think that's fair because I am this. And, and I think you still have that kind of pushback. You, you would get that sort of almost same kind of attitude that suddenly you're calling yourself an architect, but I've been doing this for 14 years and I guarantee you, you aren't anywhere near what an architect is, and you you would have that that kind of pushback. But the other thing I think, and, and the last thing we want to talk about, probably real quick, is we're, I feel like we're getting a little getting a little long, but the whole effect that this may potentially have on labor, because you're talking about if, if we can do this as a forty year program, and then you can get out and start practicing and hopefully get licensed and all that sort of stuff. Will more people be drawn to it because it becomes more accessible? And will we find a bigger pool of employees coming out of school than we would have before? And I don't know that it would necessarily change anything. From a labor perspective, I do think that there might be more initial interests 
just because I, and this is just coming from my own experience in school, but the, the that initial class of potential architects that it was like, I remember my architecture history for, uh, as a freshman. And, and again, I, I, I know that not everybody in that class was there as an architect, but there, there was a lot of people who were, and it was, it was enough to fill an entire large auditorium. Like they, they had to have it. The, the school of architecture actually wasn't big enough to hold this class because there were so many people in it and it was, it was one of your basic requirements to, to enter the um, center of the school of architecture. Um, And so there were, there were hundreds of people taking this class. And, and so I feel like if you shorten it and it becomes a four-year degree, I think that interest sticks. I think that pulls more people into the, into the school and, Maybe I mean, and I understand that the professors will again do their absolute darndest to 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 weed out the people who shouldn't be there and weed out weed out the frail and the weak and the people who who require sleep again that sort of stuff. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I wasn't going to put it in those terms, but yeah. (laughs) But yes, um, I think I think there would still be a a general weed out, and and there there is for every degree. I understand that. I think I think the end result would still be more people going through it because the, there aren't as large financial constraints uh, doing going through undergrad and grad school, and there's not as many. You know, it, it, there's more of a light. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's not as long of a tunnel. Uh huh. That's an uh, excellent way of putting it. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. But but. I, uh, but on, on, on the flip side of that, what, so what does that do for the, the labor as a whole? Like if you, if you have all of a sudden more people coming out in the industry, well, does that exacerbate the existing problem that, that we're already having of, oh, well, I can just uh, find somebody to do it for, you know, $10 an hour cheaper, or, you know, if you don't take this job, well, then I can go get somebody two years younger who will do it for free or, yeah, how does that no, well, and I and I think that's a fair assumption that that a larger labor pool means you have more options. If you're an employer, well, do I have to pay fifty thousand a year to start? Well, no, because there's you know a hundred and fifty thousand extra, you know, young architects out there, or whatever. And now my labor pool has gotten bigger, and I can offer less. Somebody, somebody will take it, and who may be just as good as you at at fifty. I mean, I can get somebody at forty, or can I get somebody at thirty five? So I, I think there is that that potential, and, and the interesting thing for me is, is from a labor pool perspective, from a labor perspective, are you going to get people in the field who may actually be really great designers and really great architects in the long run, who wouldn't have been there before, because they have looked at this and thought this is too daunting because I can't spend six years in school. I don't want to put myself in debt for another 15 years while I'm trying to pay off school loans, while I'm trying to get my master's degree, all that sort of stuff. To be honest, I, I got my undergrad and I came out of school and went to work because I couldn't do two more years of architecture. I, I mean, I was already $40,000 in debt finishing up my, and that's finishing up my undergrad. That's not, not my entire undergrad. That's just the last like two and a half years of finishing my undergrad. Jeez. And I couldn't see myself doing another two or three years to get my master's because that's just that much more money. So 
from a labor perspective, are you, do you suddenly find yourself getting people in the labor pool who should have been there in the first place? And so you're getting maybe some better talent that's coming along because they now have that opportunity to, to do that. And, and, and one, one last point that, that I was, I, I would, and, and, and yes, this is all coming back to the pandemic. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the pandemic into this, but, but no! over the, <laughs> but, but like, but over the course of the pandemic, you've seen a lot more people realizing the value of their own work. You have, I mean, even so you have like place uh, Amazon uh, where they're starting to unionize Amazon warehouses, or I know they just uh, unionized a, a Starbucks in New York, I think was the first one to be that. And, and so does the industry, because they have more workers become a little bit more, maybe this is just me still holding on to that youthful innocence, but, but does that, but, but does the industry then, because they have more of a pool to draw for, from then become more protective of the, the rights of the, of, of labor as a whole and, and try to equalize things out a little bit. It's not just, you know, your, your star architects at the top and, and, and they're just, and they're the ones driving everything. Maybe, maybe having a larger pool means having a larger voice in the, the overall say of a company rather than it just being run and dominated by two or three individuals at the top. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the answer to that is, is no. I think a bigger labor pool means you have more to pick from. So if you guys want to unionize, then we're going to go ahead and find somebody else who doesn't and we'll fill that gap. So there's that potential. And, and it's, I, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about that, you know, we're seeing, starting to see architecture firms where people are wanting to unionize and we're, we're saving this for a podcast down the road after probably a lot more research and trying to get somebody that we can actually talk to about this. But generally, you're seeing architecture firms where people are starting to want to unionize because that gives them some sort of collective bargaining right to sit down with the partners and say, this is our value. We know our value. You can't keep treating us this way. This is what we want. Um, but I do, I think you're right. I think in the two years of the pandemic, people realize are suddenly realizing there's a value to what they're doing and it needs to be addressed and it needs to be appreciated and it needs to be understood. And, and the days of killing us because we're interns and that's just what we do. Because again, I had to do it. Why shouldn't you? I think that's, that's potentially going to start going away. And so it'll be interesting to see that, that, that swing. But I think if there was a much bigger labor pool, that might be less likely to happen because, and, and again, there are, I'm sure there are architecture firms who would just shut their doors because we don't want a union, so we're going to fire everyone. We're going to go form this other company, and we're going to hire people who are interested in being in a union. You know, I mean, because because there's the potential for that to happen, and it wouldn't surprise me if that happened. So, so yeah, so so definitely, a what if architecture was just a four year degree, and we were done? We don't know what would happen. We don't know how it would happen. But what if? What if that happened? What what if that was the universe? That was that was this multiverse for architecture is that we're in an in an industry where we only have to go to school for four years. That would be so awesome. <laughs> Life would have been so much simpler. So yeah, so so it's it's like I said, this is we think gonna be the first of several what ifs this year. And I don't know what, what the next one would be, but but I'm sure we'll probably be randomly sitting around scratching something and go, Hey, what if this happened? And 
and we'll be off and running again. But thank you guys for, for tuning back in and listening. Uh, we're probably going to be hitting you guys pretty quickly with uh, multiple podcasts. I think our next one's the uh, the Google. <laughs> the Google. We Googled an architecture thing, and, and trust me, it's, it is you're just astounded by, by the answers that Google pops up for you. You know, it's that autofill kind of thing. And we also have an interview coming up with Michael, I can't remember, what's his last name? Michael Fitz. Michael Fitz, who we interviewed last year because he was just starting his firm, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, Start, so, just starting up his firm. And, and he actually just had his, geez, I think, third kid. Oh my God! So he's got, well, yeah, that's so, pretty brave for somebody starting a new practice. Well, he, I, yeah. So uh, hopefully we can catch him in between uh, <laughs> in between bottle feedings yeah, and work, and yeah. actually sit down with them and, and find out what's going on. So, so yeah. So hope you guys are doing well, and we will talk to you fairly soon, or you'll hear from us fairly soon. As always, if you want to reach me, you can reach me at Spotted Dog Arch on Instagram and Twitter, and Larry at SpottedDogArchitecture.com. And you can find the podcast at Arch Geeks Podcast on Instagram and our website at architecturegeeks.com. Well, thank you guys. Hope you're having a good week and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.